Today's guest on Fashion for All, the Smart Glamour podcast, is Katie Jacoby. Katie falls under the maker category of types of guests we'll be chatting with on the podcast. I'll let her introduce herself properly. We chat about meeting at FIT, working in corporate fashion, and starting our own small businesses. Enjoy our conversation. Hi there. Hi. Uh, Thank you for joining me. Sure. Could you please introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Katie Jacoby. Um, I am a former children's wear designer turned entrepreneur. Um, So I was, you know, working as a children's wear designer in the fashion industry in New York City for about a decade almost. Um, I designed for some pretty big corporations. Um, I don't think I should mention their names here, but uh, I'm pretty sure if you think of like like your top five largest corporations in uh, the U.S., you might be able to guess some of them. Um, <laughs> and, um, and in 2017, I got pregnant and my husband and I decided to relocate to upstate New York. So we're now in Hudson, um, Hudson, New York. It's about two hours north of New York City. And um, after I had my son, I decided to uh, open an Etsy shop, and that's what I work on full time. And um, my Etsy shop focuses on baby products, not not so much apparel, but more like baby accessories and baby swaddles and toys and rattles, things things like that. Wonderful. I don't think I realized that you were um, in the corporate world for so long, but I guess that makes sense because we went to college so long. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> so we know each other because we both went to FIT together. Yes. Um, did you specialize in children's wear at FIT? I did not, actually. I specialized in women's sportswear. Um, I spent a year studying abroad in Italy uh, with like a focus on knitwear and um like for one semester and then the second semester over there uh was kind of just like general sportswear I guess more cut and sew knits mm-hmm. um and uh yeah and then when I came back so that was my junior year of college when I came back to New York uh for my senior year I focused on just women's sportswear mm. um mostly like mostly wovens I would say okay um yeah cuz you did the you did the full 4 years. I only I only did two before right. I left. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um how would you overall sum up your experience at FIT? At FIT. Um gosh, it's uh, some of it is a, just a blur like mm-hmm. like when people like ask me about what my college experience was like, I'm pretty sure it's not like your average <laughs> college experience. I just remember a lot of like lab time, sewing. I remember late nights not drinking or going out, <laughs> like late nights spent, you know, just like at the sewing machine. And um, yeah, and it just kind of was like, I guess I should have realized then how much work going into this that industry would, would be because yeah. um, it just like, it never changed. Like when I went into the industry, it was just constant constantly working and, and kind of, I mean, that was the expectation, I think, too. And so in in that sense, I guess FIT kind of did prepare us for that, because that's all I remember about school is just going to class, having like four hour lab classes, and then having to like, sew and work on projects uh, Mm -hmm. after class. So 
Yeah, you know. it was it was definitely a lot of work, and I I try to stress that to people that like how many credits we did and how long the classes were, and like then how much actual like homework you have to do outside of class. It's just so much. I feel like I lived in the lab rooms. Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. Would you overall say that like you enjoyed going to FIT or? parts of it or or how do you feel about it? Yeah, there were parts of it that I definitely enjoyed. I mean, I've made friends, I you know, some of my best friends I made at school. Um my experience studying abroad was definitely uh something that I don't take for granted. Like that was amazing. Um and you know, I think like I learned a lot at school. Um uh like I think it did prepare us pretty mm-hmm. well f- to go into the industry. At mm-hmm. least in the sector of of the industry that uh, that I was in, which was pretty commercial um, and corporate, uh, I felt like I was I was pretty well prepared for that. Um, you know, it, like I think going into FIT, I had these uh, like ideas of grandeur with like, oh, I'm going to be this like high end designer and and do women's sportswear and sell, you know, jackets for like $10,000 or something. And it's like, and it's, that was completely unrealistic and, and, and actually not where the jobs were when, when we graduated, which was, you know, kind of in the middle of a recession. And um, yeah, there were parts of it I enjoyed. I, I enjoyed meeting, you know, meeting new people. I, I enjoy the friends that I still have from school. Um, and I think it's, I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. Like what we did, <laughs> like, I don't think many people get to say they like made dresses at school, you know? So, um, yeah. So there are parts of it that, that I enjoyed definitely. And I think, I, I think the biggest thing that I got out of school was just that I learned a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I tend to say about FIT because I mean I so if people don't know how the fashion design program works there or actually I'm not 100% sure it still is you know run this way because we uh, went there starting in 2005 but at that time you could do two years of the fashion degree or you could keep going for four and it was like if you had a certain GPA you automatically were accepted into the next two um, but you could also just take your associates and leave. And so even though I was accepted into the second two years, I decided to leave, which um, was mainly because of how much FIT sets you up for the corporate fashion world. And that's not what I had in mind. (laughs) Right, right. And um, but I do always say whenever I talk about going into FIT that I do absolutely feel like I learned so so much you know like Mm -hmm. I learned how to make pretty much anything like you know I obviously I could continue knowledge on like some specialty things and everyone can always learn and grow but like the the foundation that you get at FIT for draping and pattern making and sewing is just like you're good you're set which, which I think is great yeah um so how did you then end up doing children's wear if that wasn't your your specialization? Yeah. So when I first graduated, um, I kind of just was, I was applying to probably like 50 to 70 um, places a day. Like I would just send my application out wherever, wherever I could to every job listing. And I, I basically was like, I'm going to take whatever I can get at this point. Um, my parents had kind of said, you know, well, 
will will pay for your rent for the summer. And if you don't have a job by the time September comes, you're going to have to move back home. I mean, you know, I had just graduated from college. I didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. I was broke. There, We were in the middle of a recession, like I had said before. This was 2009. Um, and uh, so that was kind of the ultimatum. And so I was just getting kind of desperate. And my first job out of school was um, for a private label company, meaning like, you design, you design for them. And then someone else puts a label on it and it's sold at like one of those big stores that I, that I alluded to at the beginning of our chat. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so very large retailers, I know you're familiar with them. (laughs) And, um, that was my first job out of school and it was actually concentrated in juniors clothing. So, okay. So the kind of stuff you would find at like wet seal forever 21, um, Charlotte Russe, you know, mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. junior department in department stores like JCPenney, Macy's, that kind of stuff. Um, and I hated it. <laughs> I hated it so much. It just was, it was super stressful. The hours were not good. The salary was not good. Um, and so about maybe 10 months into that job, I had started looking to go elsewhere and um, ended up getting a job offer from another company that was also juniors. Um, and it was kind of a lateral a lateral move for me in terms of title and salary. I mean, there was like a very, very minimal salary bump. Um, Mm -hmm. but title wise, it was lateral. Uh, it was the same kind of clothing, but the, it wasn't private label. This was for a vertical retailer, meaning that everything was done in house, the design, um, the manufacturing and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then it went straight into a store where like, where like the label was put on it, it wasn't a private label. So I could say I designed for this company and that's what you saw in the store. Um, And I stayed there for about three years. And then after that, I kind of was feeling burnt out. I was burnt out from doing juniors because um, as you know, and I think most anyone who is familiar with junior clothing um, would would, could probably guess is like the fashions change so constantly and that it's very fast paced. Uh, there's always work that needs to get done. And it was just, um, yeah, I just got burnt out. It was just mm-hmm. hard. It was hard to keep up with that, with that, um, with that sector in, mm-hmm. in fashion, just in general. So that's when I kind of decided to transition into children's wear. And that's kind of where I, I, I lived and developed my, my skills until I was a senior designer, um, and got pregnant and left. (laughs) (laughs) Did you decide like, so when you got pregnant and you decided to leave, was it because like y'all wanted to move mainly or because you didn't want to try to figure out how to stay there and also have a child or you you wanted to be home or what what was that that thought process yeah um I mean I guess it was a little bit of all of it I I think yeah I think probably I was like well you know working in fashion is so demanding and and just the culture of the company I was at at the time but also I 
I think was the culture at most of the places I've been at in the fashion industry was just kind of like, it's hard. It's hard to have a family and it's hard to be a mother, especially in that world. I mean, you're expected to work until the job is done. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no like nine to five, as soon as the clock hits five o'clock, you're done. It's not like that. Um, You know, you have deadlines to hit, you you're expected to work late nights, order dinner into the office. And so I was kind of worried that either I would never see my child and he would be with a nanny or in, you know, or in daycare or something or a combination of those um, just all the time, 24 hours a day. And I would never see him. Um, And, and also it was expensive. It was expensive to live in the city and that's where the jobs in fashion are like, (laughs) Um, you know, I didn't really have the choice. It was either stay in the industry and not see my child or, or leave the industry and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, figure something else out. Um, and obviously that's what, that's what I chose. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if it had been possible, if I thought it had been possible to like raise a family successfully and to be around my son the uh, like as much as I wanted to and mm-hmm. keep my job and keep my salary and get a two bedroom apartment in Manhattan I would have stayed but that's <laughs> just like you know that's just not realistic yeah when I worked um I worked in juniors as well and um that was definitely one of the worst parts of it was just I, I and like saying the pace, honestly, I feel like isn't even really a fair representation of what was going on because yes, the pace was fast, but like, I don't know. I feel like I'm a hard worker and I can keep right. up with fast pace. I mean, I do a ton of stuff now, so it's not like I, you know, stop, stop doing that so that I could like, you know, stay vacation. Um, but it's, it's <sighs> stress is like not even the word for it. It's like people are acting like, you know, a set of colored camisoles is i don't know as important as like the nuclear bomb codes it's right. just like, yeah <laughs> right. the, the the pressure on things that are just nonsensical purely because they're just ordered in such giant um numbers like mass manufacturing thing is things are just huge and so when that much money is going into anything it's like everyone's acting like it's the end of the world um and it's just really stressful and also I mean, I worked uh, there in my early to mid 20s, um, so it wasn't really an issue for me, but I watched other women try to be moms and work there. And, you know, there was only one woman who, like, had the gusto to be like, listen, this is how this works. I'm leaving at 530 every single day. I'm a single mom. I have a kid. If you don't like it, you can try to fire me and I will take A, B, C steps to, like... basically blow this place up right (laughs) but you know she was also like she did that and and it worked enough for her long enough eventually she left but like she was like basically looked down on yeah yeah exactly yeah like that's just the culture of it I mean at the at the very very top there are men right Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um and you know, every, uh, the majority of like the people who are trying to climb that corporate ladder are women. And most of them are not mothers or if they're mothers, then maybe they, their children are older and are in school yeah. or like, I, I just can't imagine, 
you know, having a newborn or, you know, a baby or toddler and trying Mm -hmm. to balance, balance all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So when you decided to start the Etsy shop, how come you start decided to start like with, um, or, or I mean, continue, it's what you're doing now, like baby type accessories and not necessarily, um, apparel of any kind. Yeah. Um, so I, like, I've always been a crafter, like on the side It's always been a hobby of mine. I was into crocheting, um, crocheting and knitting. And I would, I started making toys for like my niece at the time was, you know, was just born. And I, and I crocheted her some little toys and they were so cute. And, and everyone, you know, I posted a photo on social media and people were like, Oh, are you going to sell those? Can I, I want one. And, and, you know, it kind of just, it kind of happened and there was no strategy or thought (laughs) put into it. And, and I mean, I should say I started my Etsy shop in 2014. So three years before we actually moved out of New York city. And it was Mm. just a kind of like a side gig. Like I would only get, you know, a couple orders every few weeks, probably Mm. like almost nothing. Um, but it was just, you know, it was just a hobby and it was something I did kind of for fun to fulfill my hobby. And I didn't need like crocheted toys sitting in my apartment. So it was like, (laughs) why not? Why not see if someone else would want these and buy them? Mm. And, um, And then when we moved up, it just kind of seemed like the most natural thing to continue to do because I was already doing it. (laughs) Like I already had the shop open and I was like, well, you know, maybe if I dedicate 40 hours a week to this or whatever, you know, if I work on this full time, maybe this can be something. Um, And so I don't think I don't think I ever really was, uh, you know, decided like I don't want to do apparel because I loved mm-hmm. designing children's wear. It was never like the conscious decision, like, I'm not going to do this. It was more like, I'm already doing this other thing. Let's just see where this goes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes- I mean, but then, you know, like three years into it, I'm kind of like, I would love to design apparel again, but it seems like so much work now. (laughs) Like even for baby stuff, I mean, like I, I don't know how you do it because with babies, you know, you have a few sizes and, but even that feels like too much for me. I'm like, I'm one person, you know, if I were making it myself, just having to make the patterns and like, so and cut all the pieces and so all for those different sizes just seems, um, daunting to me. And it, it's not really like, I love designing. I don't necessarily love being a producer. Like I don't love, you know, making, I don't love making apparel. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fair. I mean, yeah, and I almost feel like I'm I'm almost a little bit the other way around. Like obviously I I do love to design things, but I think that's kind of why Smart Glamour is the way that it is is like, you know, I'm not, you know, making the the new coolest designed dress you've never seen before. Like right. Right. <laughs> um I it's it is more focused on, you know, the customizations and like making right. it a good quality and and making it accessible than it right. is about look at this cool new thing that I made for, you know, right. whatever. Um, but so speaking of 
actually physically making things, though, you, um, around the same time as me, pivoted to making masks. So now you are actually making things. <laughs> yes. I know. I'm like, I don't love making things. And then here I am sewing till midnight, like since April, uh, making <laughs> the same item over and over. Um, but yeah, gosh. Who would have thunk like a year ago, I'd be like, oh, my main business is making face masks. Um, Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. (laughs) It probably slowed down for me, you know, Mm -hmm. like around um, probably like mid-July. I just I Mm -hmm. opened. So, okay, for a little background, for those who don't know me, I opened a second Etsy shop where I primarily am selling face masks at the moment. Um, And I opened it. On April 7th, I think is when it went live. And um, we had been on lockdown since like middle, like March 15th, I want to say, up here. Up mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it took me a few weeks to kind of jump on the on the bandwagon. But I, I saw that there was such a need for it and such a sense of urgency. You know, people were searching Etsy and, um, and just needed them, obviously. And, um, so around, I think around April 7th, I like put my first face mask listing up and it, it, it took off. It was crazy. Um, and I was, I was sewing every, every night, every day, um, just nonstop. It seemed like around the clock. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have, a like at the time, a two year old, he's now three, but, um, yeah, so he was home with me all day, and it was like, oh my gosh, it was just madness. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I think like I I think June around June fifteenth. So let's see, April, April, May, June. So yeah, like two months it took for me to get caught up in all of my Etsy orders. And it was like for a day, like, Oh, I'm finally caught up. I have nothing to send out. And then 24 hours later, I, you know, I went to bed and I woke up and I had three more orders and, Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of been that way. Like it's definitely slowed down, but you know, I'm getting like two to three orders a day in that shop and they're never just one mask. It's like people are ordering like multiple masks for their whole family. Or now I'm getting a lot of repeat buyers who are like sending them to friends or family. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, yeah, who knew I would be pivoting into, into face masks, but people still need them and we all Mm -hmm. need them. I hope everyone's still wearing them. (laughs) Yeah. No, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I I posted mine originally. So I put it on my personal page first because I was like, I don't know if enough people are going to want these. I don't know if I even want to promote them through Smart Glamour. Like, I'll just post on my personal Facebook and see what happens. And I did that on April 3rd. And immediately I was like, okay, I got to start a spreadsheet. This is becoming a thing. And then I put it on a Smart Glamour and it was just like, it just, it went bananas. And um, agree, around the same time, I would say for like, Two solid months, I was making masks every single day, and I some days was way, doing honestly way too many. Like I was trying to bang out batches of like sixty in a day. Yeah. Um, when like ideally, if I want to do a batch and like that be what I do that day, and like still get a lot done, but not um, completely overwhelm myself, I would say that the perfect amount is somewhere between thirty-five and forty for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
there were there were many days where I had to do more than that because I just yeah. had so many to get through. Yeah. And then <laughs> Yeah, then it slowed down and then um once people started talking about different kid related things like, "Oh, maybe I'm going to try to send my kid to camp" or oh, we are actually going to have to go to school. Or like when when people started going back to work and they would need them for work. And then I had somebody, you know, order some for work and then she went to work with hers. And then like the whole office wanted that. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, I need 60. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> right. I've had a couple of those instances also. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, great. I like, I love the business and I, and I thrive. Like I'm the kind of person who thrives on being super busy, probably to my detriment (laughs) eventually. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm way more productive when I have too many things to do. Um, Mm -hmm. so like, you know, it's hard to complain about it, but yeah, for a while it was just nonstop and it was, it was exhausting. It was pretty exhausting. Yeah, um, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that it, it's interesting because a lot of people that I talk to about um, this kind of stuff, they are not a maker. So it's kind of hard to have a conversation about running your own smaller business and like now you pivoted and then like when do you pivot back what do you do so like I'm curious what your thoughts on right now of like now that things are slowing it down a little bit but you still have some of those orders and so you're kind of trying to like get back to promoting the stuff you used to do like yeah. do you have a, do you have some kind of like strategy or, or plan for that? No, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants with that um <laughs> yeah I mean you know the thing is like with Etsy, it can be so unpredictable. Um, like I know you have your own platform, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, like on Etsy, it's like sometimes they drive traffic, and it's and it and it's built so that you know if I get one order, I get three order. Like you know, like the way the algorithm works is like once people start buying, then then there's that momentum there, and th- I get more and more orders. If it's mm-hmm. dead, it's dead. Like, and it, and you kind of have to like start from scratch, building that momentum again, you're just, I need to get two orders in a row. And then that will kind of like jumpstart that, you know, then they'll kind of be a little bit more consistent, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of unpredictable in that way. So I'm just kind of taking things, you know, obviously I'm still face mask orders are trickling in and I try to fill those immediately so that I don't have to think about it. And I can get that off my plate and try to focus on something else, but, um, but it's probably not the most efficient way to do things. I mean, um, you know, like I ju- it just feels like my, my focus is being pulled in so many directions right now. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to transition it so that it, I can focus on the baby stuff and my other shop again. But yeah, right now my attention is kind of split half and half between both. Um, so I kind of feel like I'm doing neither successfully, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that will like balance out in the next couple of weeks. And I will feel like at least I'm focusing like 75, 25, you know, on, on like one shop or the other. Um, right now it feels like it's kind of 50, 50 and I can't really get to that point where I feel like, um, I'm doing something really well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand what you mean. Um, 
do you feel like you still have any kind of connection to the fashion industry at all? Are you still like paying attention to what's going on? Do you follow? No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I, I mean, obviously I still have friends. Like I have, I have colleagues that I still speak to um, and I, and I want to make sure that they're all doing okay. You know, I know it was hard. It was tough. Like that industry is just, it was even pre pandemic was going in a direction that was kind of scary. I think for like a lot of my friends, like Mm -hmm. no, you know, malls are closing all over the country and were closing before the pandemic. And now it's right. You know, if they were designing for a store that had been in the mall or for a department store, it's like, what's going to happen to that business. So I, I, things have been rocky in that industry for for a while, like this has been coming, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I think the, the pandemic just kind of like, uh, amplified all of, all of those issues that the fashion industry has been having. And, um, so so like, I don't follow the news as closely, but uh, obviously I still have friends that I speak to who are still in the industry. Um, but yeah, I've kind of, I've kind of tried to distance myself from that. It just was so, like by the time I left, I felt like it was such a toxic environment for me. Like I didn't mm-hmm. like the office politics. I didn't like the gossip. I didn't like just, you know, just that like whole corporate structure. Um, yeah. It just, yeah. I mean, toxic is the perfect word, I think, for me to describe my feelings about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, there was no work-life balance. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and you just kind of always had that feeling like, like you were disposable. Like if you didn't work until 11 o'clock at night, uh, yeah. that, that, that they could just be like, okay, well, here's someone fresh out of school who would love your job. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was just kind of like, like, that's, that's not healthy. <laughs> like, and like having those expectations and, and you get to the point where like, you're like, this is normal, right? I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years. Like this must be normal, but it's not <laughs> like, once you, like once you leave it, you're like, Oh, sh-, you know, that wasn't normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I personally got um, like a giant stress knot in my back um, from working at that job. Yeah. And like, that was the first time in my life that I realized that like you could, get like um a physical result to stress you know and like and I knew what it was what was causing it because I would leave my apartment to go to work and I'd be feeling fine and like the second I stepped onto the seven train my back would tense up and I would just feel this giant knot in my back and it was just there all day yeah yeah that does not surprise me at all (laughs) yeah it's crazy it, it's so hard to like just try to describe it to people who have not been exposed to the fashion industry at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, like I make it sound really bad. Like I feel like I make it sound terrible, but it, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I don't yeah. think, I think maybe like people who don't know, like are like, oh, she must be exaggerating, you know, mm. but it's like, 
I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I wish I were exaggerating. Right. And like we're talking specifically about corporate fashion where, yes. you know, you're in a giant office building, you're sitting behind a desk, you're making things that are being mass manufactured um, for not a lot of money. I'm sh- like, you know, there. I'm sure there's toxic environments in all levels of fashion, but I'm also sure that there are more opportunities for like creative inspiring environments when you are working with smaller companies um or even maybe even like higher end companies like i'm sure they're also stressful but i just feel like there's a special kind of stress that comes along with oh we're making a million tank tops for what for walmart or whatever you know like it's like it's a special kind of thing yeah um do you find that there is a sense of community at all among like Etsy shops or like have you ever I know that you do some um like fairs and whatnot have mm-hmm. you found a kind of community among other small business folks oh yeah definitely um I think especially like when I moved up here to the Hudson Valley where it's a much smaller um you know more condensed maker community like in like when I was living in New York City because I used to do some handmade markets like in Brooklyn and stuff but you know they're there's just so many people, there are so many makers, um, in the city and it's hard to kind of find that connection, uh, with people, um, on that scale. Um, but yeah, when I moved up here to the Hudson Valley, I see the same makers or the, you know, the same vendors at, at a lot of the craft shows I go to, um, or maker shows, um, and so it's nice. So like we, I have that connection and there definitely is a tight community, I think of makers up here, especially. Um, so that's nice. I would say like, I rarely find, find that sense of community on Etsy with like random other Etsy sellers, but mm-hmm. I am in like some Facebook groups with similar, with like other makers who do similar things. So in that sense, um, but they don't all sell on Etsy, you know, they might just be doing it as a hobby or whatever, but, um, you know, there is a sense of community in that space as well. That's really great. Um, that's something that I've like now started to try to do. I mean, unfortunately now this September, I obviously I'm not doing a runway show cause we're in the middle of a pandemic, but for the past two, um, I turned them into not just runway shows, but events where I invited other folks who hand make and or ethically produce in some way um, their own things. So it's I, I basically like created that environment because I, I agree that like um, I've done a few of those like bigger uh, fairs mm-hmm. back when I first started Smart Glamour. And not only were they never very fruitful for me because I personally I feel that um in those very big spaces with lots of tables of lots of people, it's very hard to sell clothing right? um, because people want things that are easy to grab and take with them. They don't want to like sit there and talk about sizing and get measured and try stuff on like that. That's just like not the, the mood. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But um, by creating my own space that's smaller and then like inviting specific kind of folks who have a focus on, um, you know, hand making things or ethically producing things who are women and non-binary people. Like it just, it creates a, a, a smaller little um, community that I feel like is a right. little. A yeah. Little that's awesome. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, so what is something that 
maybe we'll do maybe we'll i'll ask this in in uh for both for both categories even one even though you're not a part of it anymore and two what you're currently a part of what's something that you would like to see change with the fashion industry in general and it can be from like the working end or even just like you know the fashion industry that you see happening like mm-hmm. like advertising in big stores and things on instagram like whatever you might notice um and then also what's something you would like to see change from you know, whether it's specifically selling on Etsy or just like working as a small business. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with the fashion industry, gosh, there are so many things that need to change with it, but, um, but, you know, I will say that, um, I think, I think in the last probably like two to three years, especially there has been a bigger, a much bigger shift, like a recognizable shift into shopping small, shopping ethically, um, you know, and, and for more sustainable goods, you know, like forever 21 closed this year. And, and I think that was going to happen regardless of the global pandemic. And, you know, it's just, it's a signal that fast fashion might be finally going away. I mean, and like, and that's, that's where I, that's where I worked were for, you know, that mm-hmm. I started my career was doing that fast fashion stuff. And, um, and, it, and it always felt like, like, I just need a job. I just want to be able to feed myself. But like, this doesn't feel right, you know, but it's like, you know, you don't really have a choice, unfortunately. Um, And it makes you feel like you're a hypocrite. And, you know, like you sold out, like as a created as as like a creator, you know, like, we Mm -hmm. went to school, like we have degrees in, in fine art. (laughs) Right. And and it's like, you kind of sold out, like you're just copying, you know, you're just copying things and it's not even, you're not even copying good things. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we, we really need to stress that for people. I think people don't realize that like we are straight up getting samples, hanging them on a little hanging contraption on our desk and copying them. Like that's what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was designing anything and, um, and so like, that's the first thing that I would love to see change in the next five to 10 years is to just have fast fashion, not even be like a thing anymore. Like I want to eliminate that from people's vocabulary. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just so, it's so gross, like, and so wasteful. And I just think mm-hmm. like, uh, but I do think that, that, that we have made a shift we as in the world um is starting to make that shift into shop you know like and just having customers be more aware of their shopping habits I -hmm. think um and I think Instagram has helped with that actually um so yeah so I would like I would like things to continue trending in that direction with with fashion um you know, like have less of those big box stores and chain stores and, and fast fashion and just, you know, emphasize how we can reuse and recycle or upcycle uh, what we already have. Like we don't Mm -hmm. need to, you know, we don't need to buy new clothes every three months. (laughs) That's not right, you know, like or every week as H and M would like you to. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. So like 
yeah, and I think I think people are are starting to be more aware of that and also just get more educated on it. So I yeah. think um, I think that's great. So I think like, if we could do even more of that would be would be the first thing that I want to see change about the industry. And then also for people working in the industry, I would love to see more female. CEOs of these big companies um, and, you know, better maternity leave policies and things mm-hmm. so that like people like me didn't feel like they had to leave a career that, that we spent a decade building, you know, yes, um, and have to make that choice. Like that's not, um, that's not fair. I think, I think women in fashion need so much more support um, to build mm-hmm. a family and, um, yeah. Is that. <laughs> and then what about um in the like small business and or like Etsy circle? What what would you like to see change there? Yeah. Um uh, but that one's a little tough because I still don't feel like I'm like an expert at, mm-hmm. at any part of it. Like mm-hmm. so it's hard to say, you know, I want this to change because I feel like maybe I don't even know what, you know, <laughs> like okay. I don't even know everything. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like I've always been, I've always been a fan of selling on Etsy. Like when people, cause I know there are some Etsy sellers who have a lot of issues with Etsy, especially since they went public in maybe what was that? Probably about three years ago, like when, oh, okay. I, when I moved up here. So they went public, their um, senior management had a whole, you know, change, um, and, and they changed a lot of things. Like they've slowly been changing, you know, shipping, the way shipping works. Like they want sellers to be able to ship things faster, um, like more like Amazon, you know? And it's like Etsy was never intended to be an Amazon. <laughs> and, and I know a lot of sellers struggle with that. They're like, we're not Amazon. Like, why are we trying to be Amazon? But at the same time, It's like, that's what, unfortunately, Amazon has just created those expectations for consumers. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm an Amazon Prime member. (laughs) I do expect things to ship quickly. And when I'm paying to get things here in two days, I, you know, like, that's, that's the expectation that's formed. And, um, and so I think, I think it was, I think it was hard to just kind of like, Um, I think it was hard for a lot of sellers, especially handmade sellers who like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're putting a lot of time and thought into your product. And if you're making it to order, which a lot of people are, I think um, it's ridiculous to, to expect us to fulfill or process orders in like a day and have them ship immediately. That's just not how, um, how our business models are set up to be. And so I think that frustrated a lot of SE sellers. Um, I probably need to give like a little bit more context to this. So like Etsy basically a year or two ago was like, we're going to start showing listings that ship quickly higher in search results. Oh, essentially was, was the gist. So um, you know, or like they were going to promote, they were only going to like promote on their, you know, like the things like on the land, on their landing page or on their Instagram, they were mm-hmm. only going to promote things that were shipping in one to two days. 
Mm. you know, for like incentive, I guess it's like they're trying to incentivize sellers to be able to ship products faster and to try to keep up with this Amazon culture. Um, but that's just not, yeah. And like, and like that's totally not, I think the way Etsy had positioned themselves when they first started, like Mm -hmm. they were supposed to be this, you know, the platform for handmade artisan, you know, vintage things, not just like crap you can find on Amazon. Right. Right. You know, so, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but like, and, but like, I've always been like on, on the fence with that kind of thing, because I, I understand that the world, you know, that we have to evolve, we have to stay current with the world. And if we're, you know, if the point is to, you know, we all have a business because we need to make money, right? Like, right. Like, it's not a business if you're not out doing it to make, to make money, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. And so like, I've always been, uh, I've, I've always kind of defended Etsy, because I'm like, because it's been a good platform for me. And, and I, and I felt like, you know, I could see, I could see why they were doing this, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like the world is changing. And if that's what consumers expect these days, they're just trying to keep up, you know, everyone's just trying to keep up with that. Everyone's trying to keep up with Amazon now. Um, right. But like, I mean, but also I can empathize with handmade sellers because I am a handmade seller. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so that's, it's been a little bit tough to just, uh, to navigate that whole, like, what is Etsy? Is it still the place for handmade things or is it, you know, handmade Amazon, which by the way, mm-hmm. you know, Amazon has like a handmade, you know, like they have like a whole platform now. <laughs> like really? Yeah. Oh man. So, I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> so like they essentially have their own Etsy and um, like, wow. Yeah. They're just, you know, trying to be. Yeah. Um, they're Amazon, Amazoning away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taking over. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that's been hard. Um, I mean, I mean, well, not hard, but like interesting. It's been interesting yeah. to see, you know, um, cause like as a consumer, I can relate to that. I can relate to wanting things right away, especially in like in the pandemic you can't go out to stores, right? You, you want to order, you have to order things online and yeah, right. it's would be super nice if it showed up at my doorstep in two days. So like, right. I get that. I get that people want that and expect that. Um, but then I also am like, <laughs> I'm here, I'm here working until midnight trying to get this stuff done you know? Right. I think that there's, I don't know, like, like if we were looking at this, um, in a vacuum and like, yes, just the idea of, I would like things to show up quickly. There's nothing wrong with that idea, but I think the issue comes into play obviously with Amazon, because then it becomes a, like a, well, how exactly is it getting there so fast? And what are the repercussions of that? And how are you treating your, um, employees that do the the delivering and obviously that's not exactly what's happening with etsy because you know the seller it, it's up to the seller to get it out and then whatever carrier they usually usually you know usually usps but but i think what gets into sketchy territory is the the practices that etsy the business decides to put in play like like what you mentioned about right. you know 
will promote the people who are doing this because then it does then it does seem like they are kind of changing their position on on who they are and and what kind yeah. of website they're trying to be yeah, so exactly yeah, yeah. I, I under i understand the frustration from that from that um right from that perspective for sure right um, then, yeah so the other thing that they did also recently like within the last two years was um they wanted they wanted sellers to offer free shipping um mm like, <laughs> yeah. So they said, you know, if you offer free shipping on orders, you know, $35 or up, um, that will also help you show up higher in search results and that kind of thing. And, and that was like, I remember, I remember in like the Facebook groups, that was a big deal. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Like people were in an uproar over that. I mean, yeah, which I get. I mean, but they kind of were like, I mean, Etsy was like, you know, we'll we'll make it as as seamless as possible for you to transition to this to be able to offer free shipping. Like we'll create this like calculator and and we'll go through and like update your listings to increase the average price or whatever it was gonna be to like accommodate that shipping cost. So they would add twenty-two cents or whatever it was to each of your listings, you know, if you mm-hmm. have a hundred listings in your shop and you're adding 28 cents to each one that would in theory offset the cost of free shipping, you know, so that you would be able to offer free shipping on orders over a certain amount. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's just been, it's been so interesting. And, and that really upset people because they were like, you know, what if, what if I'm a furniture designer? right and shipping is astronomical you're never going to be able to you know I'm never going to be able to offer free shipping right but then you know you have jewelers who are selling diamonds and the cost of you know their shipping is minimal three dollars right or something you know what I'm saying so um so yeah that was yeah that was a big deal (laughs) I think I think what that also does um not even just directly to the specific sellers, but just honestly, in my, in my personal opinion, to society as a whole, is just to continues to curate a society where folks expect free shipping and look at shipping costs as if they're like a ripoff. Like, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand that like shipping costs, unless you're an unethical business and you're like, you know charging more than it costs to ship things and like are trying to make money off the top or something but for the you know the majority of people are just charging what it literally costs to ship something yeah right and like i'm not in charge of that like the the shipping companies are so it's like i think by always offering free shipping and like promoting things like that and even to the same extent you know talking about how fast you can get it there it just it just I think it does a, a a a detrimental effect to society and like the consumerism of society mm-hmm. more even more so than it does you know to individual people like if Etsy's trying to help them out okay but like what's what's the bigger what's the bigger picture here right yeah yeah you're just training yeah you're training consumers to look at a cost and mm-hmm. and you know it, it's a mental it's a mental trick you might you might mm-hmm. increase your price and but they think oh i'm getting free shipping so i'm getting a deal 
mm-hmm. you might have already inflated your right. You know? So yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. Right. It's like it's like retailers who have an entire marketing strategy around we're going to say that things are more expensive than they are so we can constantly have them on sale. You know, I mean, like, yes, of course, people are, quote unquote, allowed to do that. But should you? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's just like mind games. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I always think that just like me personally, of course, again, um, I just feel that being transparent is is a better way to do business, especially if you're a small business. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) well okay so since that was a little bit of a a negative downer um what do you have something that you would suggest or advise to somebody who is in a bigger industry and maybe isn't super happy with it and there is a way for them to leave it and start their own thing but they're just nervous like do you have something that you would say to me since like, that's what you did. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest. I would not advise this to, um, <laughs> to the week of heart. I mean, you have to be a really hard worker. First yes. of all, I know, you know that. Um, and also, um, you know, you have to be, uh, yeah, you have to be ready to just, yeah, like make a ton of sacrifices if you really want to make it like a full-time thing. Um, I, I I would never like in good conscience tell someone to just quit their job mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, go for their dream if they weren't um, really well prepared financially and, um, and just like you know, with your mental and, um, with mental strength, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm because it's hard. It's lonely. You don't, you don't work with anyone else. You know, it's just you building this thing all by yourself. And, and a lot of times, like you don't have support, you don't have someone to talk to you. You, you feel all the pressure on your shoulders. You know, you're like, if I don't, if this isn't successful, then you know, like I've, I've invested X amount into it and, and, and that's gone. And, you know, like it just, it's a lot of pressure to put on Mm -hmm. on one person, but yeah. So, I mean, I, I wish I, I wish I were that optimistic where I could say, (laughs) say like, Oh gosh, you hate your industry. I'm so sorry. Just do what I did and, and, (laughs) and quit and start it. Etsy shop out of a hobby, but, um, but like, you know, it's not, um, like you don't, you don't make money, like you don't make money right away, at least, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like it, it takes a few years even, mm-hmm. or at least if that, um, and, um, and yeah, you, yeah, it's just, it takes sacrifice, but if like, if someone thought that they could do it and they were super determined, um, and they like really hated their job (laughs) then I would say consider it (laughs) but maybe also have also have some sort of contingency plan like uh you know if this doesn't work out I can work part-time doing this or this or I can freelance you know I did that I I freelanced for Mm -hmm. like a, a year while I was transitioning um yeah because I had for sure you know yeah. Um, As did I, you know, like I didn't just start Smart Glamour and it was my full-time job right. for the whole, 
first year, I was mostly doing freelance work and then doing a little bit of smart glamour. And then it just, you know, transitions over time. And even now, you know, I still do teaching and whatnot. Smart glamour is not the only thing I do. It's the majority of what I do, but it's not the only thing. So I think you definitely, I agree, you have to be able to be flexible and hard, like driven and hardworking. You're the only person that's telling you what to do. (laughs) But it's definitely um, key to have some other other contingency plans and to be able to um, let go of things when they're not working and find a plan B. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, totally, (laughs) totally agree with with all of that. And I I would never like want to discourage someone like especially like like a young creative person, like if, you know, I wouldn't want to discourage them from doing this, but I, you know, I'd want to say like, be smart about it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, you have to, you have to have some kind of plan. It doesn't just happen out of the blue and right. You know, you're not going to be an overnight success and take a lot of hard work. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Keyword hard work. (laughs) Um, so where can people find you on the internet and shop your store? Sure. Um, so my main shop, my first Etsy shop is Chelsea and Marbles. So it's at Chelsea A-N-D Marbles on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the link to my Etsy shop right there in my bio. And my second Etsy shop is Chelsea Marbles Home. Uh, so at Chelsea Marbles Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the link to my shop is right there in my Instagram bio. So, yep, there you have it. Perfect. I will, um, hyperlink those both in the show notes and in all the other places where I can tag things. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Fashion for All. Please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. For more Smart Glamour goodness, you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on Facebook at backslash smartglamour and Instagram at smart underscore glamour. Thanks.